Cedar Street Baptist Church, again, I love you so very much. Man, there's no other place I'd rather be than right here and right now with all of you and God's word. I'm praying for the help of God's spirit so that we would just worship him in spirit and in truth. We, um, we've been in a series that has meant so much to me. I hope it has to you. I know a lot have been coming and going. Um, we are right in the middle of a sermon series entitled Return to the Upper Room. And we've been leaning in closely to hear the very heartbeat of Jesus from his last words at his last supper. Again, week after week, it's just spellbinding to think that all this took place in one single meal. Um, five chapters, 155 verses. Uh, we are, we're, getting, we're getting close here. We're in the middle of chapter 16. In fact, today we're in John 16, verses 12 through 15. And the title of our message here this morning is A Need to No Basis. A Need to No Basis. We're going to be talking a lot about how God tells us what we need to know and when we need to know it, but not before. In fact, you know, the thing that I thought a lot about uh, in preparation of this message, I thought a lot about this week, I talked about it with friends this week, and I thought about it again this morning. I've always been fascinated with the concept of time. Some of my favorite movies are movies about time travel. I mean, how many people in this room, if you could do it, would get into a phone booth or a hot tub or whatever, uh, a DeLorean, uh, whatever vehicle could help you go to the past or help you go ahead to the future. But God made a decision, whether we like it or not. God made a decision that when he created the heavens and the earth and he placed us here on planet earth, he made time linear. He gave us a past, a present, and a future. And he only allows us to dwell in the present. All right? Time is an unstoppable freight train. It's going to carry on whether you like it or not. In fact, I was talking with one of my brothers uh, in this room about what time's going to be like in heaven. And to answer that question, I don't know. It's going to be amazing. And it's not going to be exactly like it is here now. But because earth is not your home, God does not let anybody freeze time here because we're passing through. There's a past, there's a present, and there's a future. But you know, we as human beings, we want to stop time or travel through time all the time. And in fact, we react to the past, present, and future uh, in very unique ways. For a lot of us, we look at the past and we look at God and say, why? God, explain yourself to me. And we look at the future and say, God, what's next? I can't wait. I want to know right now what's going to happen next. And God looks at us and says, you know, you're wanting an explanation for the past or you're wanting more instructions for the future, but I am with you now in the present. Now, I think what Thomas said during the psalm reading was great. God enables us to come to him with honesty the chest of God is big enough for you and I to beat on a little bit in, in, in all of the, the trials and the tribulations that we experience. I find so, so much comfort in that even Jesus himself on the cross asked why. But what I hope that you'll see today is this. We may ask those questions. God's okay with us asking those questions, but we have to be ready to receive his answer because his answer is not always what we want. God is not compelled to give us an answer to the why right now. 
And God is not compelled to give us instructions on everything that's gonna happen moving forward. God meets us in the here and now, and we know what God says? Trust and obey. Trust who I am and obey me right here in doing what I asked you to do. And you know what? That is really hard. It is so hard as human beings because we want to have control. We want answers to the past. We want full information for the future. And Jesus says, this is how it works. You're going to have to meet me in the here and now, and you're going to have to trust and obey. And that's kind of what he's getting after with the disciples. As again, we look at John 16, verses 12 through 15. And as we get ready for this passage, here's the big idea I want us to grasp in one sentence. Jesus has a need to know basis for our faith, gradually guiding us into his truth through his spirit. I'll say it again. Jesus has a need to know basis for our faith, gradually guiding us into his truth through his spirit. So if you want to know more about this need to know basis that Jesus has established for us as his faithful followers, would you join me by turning to the book of John? Fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Again, we're in chapter 16, looking at verses 12 through 15. If you don't have a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you or beside you. We're on page 1073 in your pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word. Again, we are in John 16, starting in verse 12, working our way through verse 15. Hear God's word to us through his servant, the apostle John inspired of the Holy Spirit, giving us the very words of Jesus himself. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, wanting to worship you, wanting to understand who you are and what your plan is for our life and yet we have so many whys and we have so many what's next and you speak to us today through your word we know you have many more things to say to us but right now you know what we can bear you know what we need to know and when we need to know it so lord i pray as we walk through this together that we would grow in our trust of your character and your plan that we be faithful to what we know right now but we won't be stuck in a past where we don't know why and we won't be fearful of a future where we don't know how. You are with us. You are the eternal I am, always present. Be present with us now as we walk through your word together. These things we pray, we pray in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Let me tell you for just a minute why I love this book. Why there is absolutely no book in the history of human literature that can hold a candle to the Bible. Yes, it is the Word of God. 
Yes, it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Yes, it is breathed out by God and is profitable and useful for correction and training and righteousness. All these wonderful things that the Bible is. But you know what the Bible also is? I want you to hear this term if you've never heard it before. The Bible is progressive revelation. The Bible is over thousands of years God telling us what we need to know only when we need to know it. In fact, get this image in your mind of what the Bible is. The Bible is like a television. And let's start with the first TVs that came out for those in this room that had one. The Bible is turning on that old Philco television from the 1950s and seeing this light that just gets a little bit brighter, a little bit brighter, a little bit brighter, a little bit brighter, and then all of a sudden you can see the outline of the people and the vision matches the, the audio that's coming out of the TV set. And then imagine you trade in that old TV set for a new one. In the 1970s and 80s, I remember the TV sets that I had. I remember when Zenith came out with a 27-inch screen. I thought that was the biggest screen on planet Earth. 27 inches. I would tell my neighbors, man, this is like a movie theater in here. All right? And then came the late 90s and the early 2000s. Now we have high definition. Now we have flat screens. And guess what's happening to the picture that we're seeing? Go back to the 50s and look at today. The picture is just getting clearer and clearer and clearer to where one day the Bible says that we're in the new heavens and new earth. What we now see dimly, we will see in full and radiant light. But let's go back to Genesis. Let's go back to the 1950s TV. Go back to Adam and Eve. Go back to the garden. What did they know about God? And what did they know about God's plan? Well, they knew after they sinned that he had a plan that he would bring about redemption. That's what it says in Genesis 3.15, that a, a seed of the woman who we know to be the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, he would come and crush the head of Satan, making a way from death to life and conquering sin, hell, and the grave. But you know how many thousands of years took place from that promise that a seed was coming to when Jesus actually came? Thousands of years. Thousands of years of God calling the nation of Israel unto himself and, and over and over and over again, molding and shaping and forming God's people, handing down his law, having them understand they cannot keep the law, building this system of blood sacrifice, leading to this person named Jesus who comes from the tribe of Judah and it becomes the fulfillment of scripture. And Jesus lives perfectly and he dies sacrificially and he rises supernaturally and he gets ready to ascend to the Father. And as we enter into this passage here today, Day, right before he is crucified he's prophesying that the Holy Spirit will come and continue to guide people in truth now we sit here today in 2022 and we know a lot more about God and a lot more about his plan than those disciples did in the upper room and when we are in heaven we're going to have all understanding of who God is and why he did what he did from the very beginning to lead us into eternal life. Time is just amazing. And God is so good and so wise in telling us what we need to know and what we need to know it. He's telling a story and from Genesis to Revelation, he's slowly revealing to us what we need. But you have to look no further than the Bible to find examples of people who cannot let go of the past and are always asking why and cannot move forward in the future and are always asking what's next. I could give you tons of examples. I'll just give you one of each before we look into the text here. When I think of the ones that look back as to why, questioning God and his goodness, if there was ever a person who, could, who should have been given permission to ask why, it would have been Job. 
right? For those of you, again, if you're new to the Bible, the story of Job is a story of unspeakable human suffering. All right, God has a, dis- a direct discussion with Satan. Satan basically challenges the heart of Job, saying that, that Job loves God because God has blessed Job. And God says, oh yeah? Okay, Satan, we're gonna find out. And what does God do? God leads Job into unspeakable suffering where he loses all of his children. He is going through unspeakable physical, physical pain. And then there's these cycles of discussions that Job has with his friends who don't know as much about God as they think they do. And Job begins to question God himself. Now, again, just like Thomas read in that psalm, there's nothing wrong with being honest with God and asking him why but you better be prepared for God's answer because God owes us no explanation. And what did God say in response to to Job? He didn't say, well, Job, I was talking with Satan. Here's why this happened. I really want to know your heart. No, he said, guess what he said? In uh, Job 38.4, he said to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. He didn't say, here's why I did this. He said, you're questioning my character. I am in control and I know what I'm doing. Now that's someone who looked to the past. What about someone who had a trouble with the future? One of the examples I come up with is Moses. At every stage that God called Moses to do something, Moses was aware of the obstacles that laid ahead. You know, speaks to him through a burning bush. I want you to go and free my people from Pharaoh. Moses, I'm not a speaker. God, I don't know how you worked all this out, but I'm not a public speaker. That's not what I'm gonna do. All right, and then Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and gets the Ten Commandments, comes down and sees the worshiping of the golden calf and all these things unfold and then a 40-year journey in the wilderness where over and over and over Moses is wanting to know what's going to happen and struggling to believe what's going to happen, all the opposition that comes against Israel, all the, the craziness of the, of the wilderness. But how does God respond to Moses and all of his questions about what's next? Well, I think one of his best answers was in Exodus 33, 14. Moses did not promise him all the knowledge, but Mo, or God did not promise Moses all the knowledge. What God said to Moses was, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. To Job, he said, trust my character. To Moses, he said, trust my presence. And so he says to us here today, we want to have so many different answers about the past and the future. And he says, meet me in the present and trust me. And that prepares us now as we enter back into the upper room. So take my hand, let's walk step by step back into the upper room and lean in to hear the heart of Jesus as he's talking to his disciples. The dinner's coming to an end. Jesus is getting ready to be handed over to the Sanhedrin where he will be sentenced and crucified. And what does he say? Well, here's three aspects of what we need to know about Christ's need-to-know basis. Here's the first. Number one, His need-to-know basis has a process. His need-to-know basis has a process. Starting in verse 12, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Let's start with the beginning of verse 12. What does Jesus say? Now, I want you to hear how he says this to the disciples, and then I want you to hear how he's saying this to you right now in your life. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot 
bear them now. The disciples are looking at Jesus. They're trying to process all the things that he's already said about what's going to happen. And Jesus says, there's more to come. But trust me in this moment. I can't tell you more than you need to know because you can't bear it. And the, and the, and the answer to that is, why can't they bear it? Well, it's an issue of understanding and responsibility. First, the understanding. They're processing a lot of information. Again, I've been preaching this section since January, and we're, st- we're still in the middle of, of, of chapter 16. Jesus had a lot to say, and we can only process information so quickly. And so, yeah, it's an issue of understanding, but more so than that, it's an issue of responsibility. Because I don't know if you know this, for those of you that want answers from God, the more you understand, the more God is going to hold you accountable to at your day of judgment. Perhaps we would tread water a little more carefully if we understood that with understanding comes responsibility. That's why it says in the New Testament, not all of us should consider ourselves teachers because teachers will be judged at a higher standard. With knowledge comes responsibility. And Jesus is saying, I've already given you quite a bit to chew on here. Now, what, what, what things can they not bear? Well, he told them basically that he was going to die. He told them that he was going to rise. Now he's getting ready to tell them a little bit more about this, this ma- amazing moment we call Pentecost. It is a moment after he ascends to the Father where he's going to send down his Holy Spirit and the church is going to be established. What he has not told the disciples is what's going to happen after the Spirit comes and they're guided in all truth. They're going to have to go proclaim the gospel and what we know now that they did not know then is every single one in that room with the exception of John was martyred for their, for their faith. They were put to death for sharing the name of Jesus. And by the way, John did not have a tropical island retirement. He was exiled at Patmos, which was not a Caribbean paradise. Uh, and he was, he was going through great suffering until the end of his life. So they couldn't bear that. They couldn't bear to know the type of persecution they would face. What they needed to know is that Jesus had a plan. What they needed to know that Jesus would die, but he would rise. And they needed to know that there would come the Holy Spirit and he would continue to guide them in truth. And here's what you need to know about the Holy Spirit. God is a shepherd, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. They are shepherds, and we are the sheep of God. Why do I say that? It's because the devil is much different than the Spirit. The devil drives, and the Spirit guides. If you see someone who's under demonic opposition or under demonic attack, let me just say that it's very real, but you'll notice that they are being driven like a cattle herder Satan is, and he drives the people he inhabits. Spirit of God is not that way. The Spirit of God is understanding and gentle and intentional and shepherds us and leads us by still waters and progressively unfolds what we need to know and then gives us the option to respond in faith or to quench and ignore the guidance of the Spirit, and then he grieves because he knows we will not receive God's best because we've not trusted and obeyed. And as God promised that the Spirit of God would do that in their life, he says the same in ours. God is guiding you in truth right now whether or not you've been paying attention. 
And again, you may be stuck in the past right now. You're sitting in the pew questioning the goodness of God because of something that has happened. And it's okay to ask why. It's just not okay to live there. And you may be preparing for what lies ahead, right? We've got a new school year. We're right on the front porch of this new school year. And there's going to be blessings and there's going to be challenges. There's going to be highs and there's going to be lows. And you wish God could hand it to you right now and say, Here how it's, here's how it's going to unfold. And God says, that's just not how it's going to happen. You're going to trust me for today. And I will guide you. That's what the Spirit does. And Jesus is telling the disciples that there's a, a very intentional, divine, sovereign process where the spirit is guiding in truth and then he says at the uh, at the end of verse 13 he says he will declare to you the things that are to come all right the spirit is not going to leave you in the dark with information that you need to obey me yes there's many things to come yes you cannot bear them now but when the time is right and you need to know it trust the spirit will make it known The disciples needed to hear that and so do we. Believe me when I say this, it doesn't feel this way all the time. But you have enough information right where you are right now. Even if you're new to the Christian faith, even if you just bought your first Bible, if you don't fully understand everything, I will say this, you have enough information right now to obey God right where you are. And if you do, he will guide you in more and more truth because he has a process. That's number one. Here's number two. His need-to-know basis has a purpose. Verse 14 says, He, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit, He will glorify me for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, the purpose of all truth is so that we can know God and when we know Him, we will worship Him and bring Him glory. God is infinitely great and truth is an eternal process where we begin to open up to his greatness. Again, we go from the 1950s TV to the 2022 TV and we one day see him in high definition and when you see something that is great, you call it out. We do it all the time. In a few weeks, there are some of you who will put red on from head to toe and you'll go between the hedges at Sanford Stadium and every time you see something that you think is great, i.e. a bulldog crossing the goal line, you'll call it out. You will because God put that in your heart. But there is something more infinitely great than the greatest football game there is and his name is God. All right? And he is going to open up more understanding. And the more you see him and the more you know him, the more that you will worship him rightly. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, he will glorify me. God will make known to you who he is so that he will be glorified. And get this. The spirit will do that by drawing attention to Jesus. And I want to say that because I believe there are churches that are turning this completely upside down. All right, I've said this in weeks past, I'll say it again. The the Trinity is a great mystery of our faith. One God represented in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they are one God co-equal, yet they each have distinct roles. The Father assigns, the Son accomplishes, and the Spirit applies. Again, one is not more important than the other, but the Trinity made a decision in eternity past, that the attention should be on Jesus. A spirit-led church does not make 
much of the Holy Spirit. A Spirit-led church does not draw attention to the Spirit because the role of the Spirit is to draw the attention to Jesus. That is the reason why we have a cross and not a dove at the top of our steeple. Does it mean that the Holy Spirit is any less God than Jesus? Absolutely not. It means that the Holy Spirit has one purpose, to make much of Jesus. The whole Bible that was inspired of the Holy Spirit is about Jesus. So the whole Bible is the Holy Spirit saying, here's Jesus, and here's Jesus, and here's Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's not jealous when you make much of Jesus because the Holy Spirit's role is fulfilled when you come to know and love Jesus. Jesus said, he, meaning the Holy Spirit, will come and the Holy Spirit will bring glory to me, says Jesus. That's what's happening. And and why is the attention on Jesus? Well, Jesus is the truth of God in human flesh. You know, a couple of verses ago, Jesus said to us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He doesn't say, I have the truth of God. He says, I am the truth of God. Stop and think about that. You and I may have the truth, but I would, I would never say, thanks for coming to Cedar Street. My name is Bo. I'm the truth. No, I'm not the truth. I may have a, a blurred understanding of the truth, and I'm growing in that, but you and I are not God. Jesus decided to come to the earth because he's the word, which is the truth of God wrapped in flesh and bones. The more that you know Jesus, the more you'll know God because Jesus is God and he is the truth. He's the truth. You want to know the truth? You better know Jesus. He's the word. So his need to know basis has a process. It has a purpose. Third and finally, it has a promise. Jesus says in verse 15, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, why is Jesus saying at the beginning, all that the Father has is mine? He's not saying that I am equal to the Father. That's true. He is equal to the Father. But that's not what he's trying to say here. What he's saying is, I have equal access to everything you need that the Father has. And I will make that access available to you as my born-again disciples. When you're a Christian, you're not just saved from hell and offered heaven. You are welcomed into a family, and it is the first family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are adopted into the family. The Bible says you've been given the right to be called children of God, and when you become a child of God, you are given all the rights, privileges, and responsibilities. You have access to all the glorious riches in Christ. Now, let me pump the brakes for a minute and just say this. You're not ever going to become God. Nobody in this room will ever become God. God made us to be creatures made in his image, and we can become like God in our moral character, but you and I will never have all knowledge, all power, all presence. No, that's God alone. 
But what will happen if you're a Christian, and this process is starting right now, and it will enter in for all of eternity, is you'll begin and continue in this eternal process of learning more and knowing more and understanding more and responding more in worship of Jesus. And that's going to happen forever. When you go to heaven, you're going to get a whole new level of knowledge, but you'll never know all there is to know about Jesus. You will be receiving that forever and ever and ever. And the more that you know, the more you're going to worship. You just don't even know how good he is. I don't know how good he is because he's only given us this much information right now. He's given us information about who he is on a need-to-know basis. But that's the exciting part about heaven and that's the exciting part about our journey here on earth. If you continue to walk with him, he will continue to guide you and he will continue to give to you what is his. He will open you up into intimacy and fellowship with him and the more that you grow, you're not just gonna say, I know Jesus here. You're gonna say, I know him here. You know, I'm at a point in my life where when an atheist looks at me with a big smirk on their face and says, I know there's no God. My answer is, oh, yes, there is because I have scientific proof of, of intelligent design and all these other things. No, I know Jesus. I know him. I talk to him. I walk with him. I hear from him. I obey him. I worship him. I have a relationship with him. And that's going to continue forever. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. And that's what he's telling us. All that the Father has is mine, says Jesus. And when the Spirit of God comes, he will take what is mine and he'll declare it to you. He will welcome you into this eternal fellowship. And you'll have a relationship with me. And for all of eternity, you're just going to go deeper and deeper and deeper into that relationship. What a promise. All that Jesus has, he shares with us if we would only respond to him by grace through faith. Trust him and obey him. That's what he's telling his disciples. Listen, they had no clue how bad it was gonna get. And they also had no clue how good it is now for those in heaven who finished in faith. And so do us. We don't don't know what's gonna happen. But he's giving us information on a need-to-know basis. And what you need to know right now is this. Trust him and obey him. He is good. So how do I sum this up? This is key. If you believe you need to know more, are you holding true to what you have already attained? If you believe you need to know more, are you holding true to what you have already attained? This morning, God led me clear as day to this passage. I I put in the, uh, you see on the screen there, Philippians 3.16. But I want to close by reading this this section in Philippians 3 because I'm just telling you this has been a rally cry in my life right now and I think it should be in yours. All right, I want you to imagine for a second what Paul is saying in light of what we just heard this morning. All of us want to know more. Again, some of you in this room right now are so angry at God for something that happened in the past and you keep asking why and you still haven't got the answer that you're looking for. And there are some of you, and and I probably am more guilty of the second one than the first. I'm not one that typically asks why. I'm one that's always asking what's next. And you're scared of the future, right? Fear of failure. You don't know what's gonna happen. Again, you don't know tomorrow, let alone next week, what's going to take place. So how do you live in light of this need-to-know basis? How do you do this in faith with joy? Well, well, uh, Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3, 
In verse 13, he says, forgetting what lies behind, okay, stop asking the why, straining forward to what lies ahead. I'm not going to be paralyzed by what's next. I'm going to move forward. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. To summarize, forget what lies behind. Whether or not God tells you in time why he allowed something to happen to you, you have to move forward and strain forward to what lies ahead. Don't be paralyzed about not knowing exactly what it is. Know that God is good and he's with you, so go with him in faith and hold true to what you have already attained. Honor him with what you know right now. Trust me when I say this, when you die and you stand before God at judgment, you're not gonna be concerned about what you didn't know about God. You're gonna be concerned about what you do know but you are not being faithful to. Honor him where you are and the spirit will continue to guide you where you need to be. And I say this on the authority of the word of God. If there's anybody in this room who either doesn't know Jesus or is convinced themselves that they do know Jesus when they don't, right now is your moment. Right now is your moment. Right now, God has led you right to where you are because you know Jesus is not truly the Lord of your life. You are. And I call you on the authority of the word of God. Repent and ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Maybe some of you are genuine Christians, but you've been trying to take the keys back from him because you got hurt real bad over something and you're starting to doubt his goodness. Can I just say God is good? It doesn't mean all things are good that he allows to happen. It means all things are working together for good. Your suffering is working for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, which means this. When you're in heaven, you're gonna praise him for allowing you to feel the pain that you have felt here on earth because if you didn't feel that pain, you wouldn't be as prepared for heaven as you are. We serve a, a God who gives us a need-to-know basis for our faith. Right now, you need to know what you need to know. Trust him and obey him right where you are and he will guide you for all of eternity. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. It is almost impossible to be fully present. And as I look around this room, some of us are stuck in the past, questioning your goodness about things that happened years ago. Some of us are paralyzed by fear of the future because we just don't know how much we're gonna hurt moving forward. And yet here you are right with us here in this moment. And you are good. There is no evil in you at all. And everything that you do is good. And yet you permit things to happen that are not good. And you never said they were. But you did say you would work them together for good. Oh Lord, I pray that you'd help us right now, based on what we already do know, that we would trust you and obey you right where we are and that you would guide us in more truth and more intimacy as you see fit. Be with us now, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.